It's a great privilege for me to be here speaking at West Coast Baptist College. I'd like to thank Dr. Chapel for the invitation to speak, the administration of the college. In the last few years, I have grown to love this place. I love your pastor. He's been a friend to me. I love this school. You know, there's enormous potential in this room today. And I'm excited that you get to learn and grow in the greenhouse of a thriving local church and under the ministry of a pastor that God is using in a great way. I want to take a moment just to praise the Lord like those ladies were singing about, about what the Lord is doing right now at Worth Baptist Church, my church. He's growing our church in some incredible ways. Our parking lots are packed. Our buildings are full. Souls are being saved, baptized, discipled. Uh, Like he said, we're praying about moving to a second service on Sunday morning soon. So God really is blessing his church. With that being said, there are a few challenges in being a young pastor at an established church like Worth Baptist Church. Like Dr. Rasmussen was saying, our church has a rich heritage. Pastored for 35 years by Dr. Raymond Barber, a real prince of preachers, one of the most eloquent pulpiteers I've ever heard. After Dr. Barber retired, Dr. Weaver spent some time as pastor there, and he's really the prototype of a pastor. Uh, You look up pastor in the dictionary, and I think you'd see a picture of Dr. Willie Weaver and became a leader among pastors in our state. And then about two years ago, the church got me. Uh, It's been interesting as I've gone to pastor's meetings recently and introduced myself to people as the pastor of Worth Baptist Church. One particular man I'm thinking about I shook his hand. He asked me where I was from. I said, I'm from Fort Worth, Texas, Worth Baptist Church. He said, oh, what do you do at the church? And I said, well, I'm the pastor of the church. He looked at me with kind of a bewildered look on his face. And he said, you're the youth pastor, right? And I said, well, I spent several years as a youth pastor, but now they let me preach in big church. And he was still confused, and he said, you're the pastor of Worth Baptist Church? And I said, that's me. And as I was shaking that man's hand and looking to his eyes, I couldn't help but notice the enormous disappointment in the way he was looking at me. And somewhere in his mind, I'm sure he was thinking, I can't believe that Opie Taylor-looking kid pastors a church like that. There have been a lot of interactions like that over the last several years. And every time I have an interaction like that, it's easy for me to preach myself a message of doubt, a message of fear. I choose instead in moments like that to preach a different message to myself. Many times the message that I preach to myself is a message right here from Genesis chapter 29. I call it the beautiful story of the ugly sister. I don't think there's a story in the Bible that has helped me more than the story we're about to talk about today. And I hope it will be a blessing to you. Let's read Genesis chapter 29, verse 15. And Laban said unto Jacob, Because thou art my brother, shouldest thou therefore serve me for naught? Tell me, what shall thy wages be? And Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah was tender-eyed, But Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. And Jacob loved Rachel and said, If I will will serve thee seven years for Rachel, thy younger daughter. And Laban said, It is better that I give her to thee than that I should give her to another man. Abide with me. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel. 
And they seemed unto him but a few days for the love he had to her. And Jacob said unto Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled that I may go in unto her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. And it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to him. And he went in unto her. And Laban gave unto his daughter Leah Zilpah, his maid for an handmaid. And it came to pass in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Did not I serve with thee for Rachel? Wherefore then hast thou beguiled me? And Laban said, It must not be so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill her week, and we will give thee this also for the service which thou shalt serve with me yet seven other years. And Jacob did so, and fulfilled her week, and gave him Rachel his daughter to wife also. And Laban gave to Rachel his daughter Bilhah his handmaid to be her maid. And he went in unto Rachel, and he loved Rachel also more than Leah, and served with him yet seven other years. And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bare a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, Surely the Lord hath looked upon my affliction, now therefore my husband will love me. And she conceived again and bare a son, and said, Because the Lord hath heard that I was hated, he hath therefore given me this son also, And she called his name Simeon. And and she conceived again and bare a son. And said, Now this time will my husband be joined unto me, because I have borne unto him three sons. Therefore was his name called Levi. And she conceived again and bare a son. And she said, Now will I praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah and left bearing. Before we get into the text as a whole, I want to give you just a few important pieces of background information you need to know to understand the story you just read. Number one, Jacob is the chosen son in the chosen family. It all started when God came to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and says, Abraham, I'm going to bless the whole world and I'm going to do it through your family. And in every generation of Abraham's family, there would be a chosen son. One out of all of the rest that would be chosen. And through that chosen son would come another chosen son. And another chosen son. Until finally the Lord Jesus Christ himself would come. Jacob is the chosen son. And it was through Jacob one day that the Messiah would come. So Jacob is the chosen son in a chosen family. Second piece of background information. Though Jacob is the chosen son, he doesn't act like the chosen son. Jacob's a deceiver. He's a schemer. He's a liar. He cheats his brother Esau out of his birthright. He deceives his father Isaac into giving him the blessing of the firstborn. After Jacob has done these scheming things, Esau gets so furious with Jacob that he wants to kill him. And Jacob's mom says to him, I don't know where you're going to go, but you've got to get out of here. And Jacob starts running. He ends up moving in with his uncle Laban, uh, his mother's brother. 
He serves there for a little while, gets up and goes to work for Laban every day. And Laban sees in Jacob some enormous potential. This guy has management potential. And so he says to him, you've been serving with me now for a month and I haven't paid you anything. What would you like for me to pay you as a reward for your service? Well, Jacob didn't have to think very long about it. Because Laban had two daughters, Leah and Rachel. And Jacob wasn't concerned at all with the oldest, Leah, but he really was concerned with Rachel. And in a moment's notice, he said to her, give me Rachel. She's the most beautiful girl I have ever seen. I'll serve, for you for, I'll serve you for seven years if I can marry Rachel. Laban says, that sounds like a good deal to me. So that's exactly what happens. Jacob serves Laban for seven years so that he might marry Rachel. And it says that he loves Rachel so much that the seven years seems to him as for a day. Can you imagine loving someone so much that you would work for that person for seven years? And guys, this is a good opportunity for you right here. I know you're passing notes to your girlfriend. This would be a great time to put right there, I'd do that for you, babe. Great time to do that. (laughs) Many times when we come to this story, we focus on the love that Jacob had for Rachel, and it was an incredible love. But there is a character in this story that really touches my heart, and it's Leah. She's the forgotten character in many ways. She's the ugly sister. But in spite of the pain and disappointment that she experiences, God gives Leah a beautiful story and He uses her in a really extraordinary way. I call it the beautiful story of the ugly sister. This story reminds me about three things about myself and three things about my God. Let's notice, first of all, three things about myself. That's what Leah's story reminds me of. It reminds me, first of all, that I am inadequate in many ways. I'm inadequate in many ways. Look again at verse 17. There's something you might have missed if you didn't read it carefully. It says, Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. Here's what you need to know. The Bible is not solely making a comment about Leah's eyes here. It's setting up a contrast. If it was making a comment simply about Leah's eyes or her eyesight, it would have gone like this. Leah was tender-eyed, and she had terrible eyesight, but her sister Rachel was really 20-20. That's not what it says, is it? Uh, The writer is trying to break some ugly news to us in a delicate way. He says, Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. What's the writer saying? Leah was ugly. And there's no way to get around it. Perhaps she had some facial disfigurement. Perhaps her eyes were bulging out of her head. We don't really know, but we know that Leah was ugly. In fact, one commentator said that in Hebrew, her name means cow. Now, I don't care what culture you're from or what language you speak. Calling a lady a cow is never a compliment. And here's what I want you to do for a moment. I want you to put yourself in Leah's place. Would you put your feet in her sandals? Imagine being a young lady and having a physical deformity. Imagine that it left you disfigured in your face. I imagine that every time Leah looked in the mirror, she struggled with feelings of inadequacy, don't you? 
And if that wasn't bad enough, her younger sister was born naturally beautiful, a real knockout. Every day her sister's beauty was celebrated. Every day Leah was reminded of her ugliness. And I'm reminded of something this morning. In some area of our life, we are all the ugly sister. We're all either too skinny or too fat, too poor, too dumb, too unathletic, too nerdy, too plain. I think if you'd be honest with yourself, every single one of us looks at other people and says, I really wish I had her looks. I wish I had his talent. I wish I was born into his family. I wish my dad had as much money as his dad has. I think deep down we all know that we're not everything we should be. We're inadequate. And I think our physical inadequacies and our mental inadequacies and our financial inadequacies are only symptoms of a much deeper inadequacy. We know that we are spiritually inadequate. That we are not everything that God created us as human beings to be. There is a holy God. We've fallen short of His righteous standard. None of us measure up. In some way, we are all the ugly sister. We're inadequate. The second thing this story reminds me about myself is that life is filled with pain and disappointment. It's true. Jacob works for Laban for seven years. And after seven years, he says, All right, Laban, time to keep your end of the bargain. Let me marry Rachel. In those days, they would have a week-long wedding feast. The bride would be fully veiled during the marriage ceremony. On the first night of the wedding feast, it says Jacob went into his tent and it was pitch black. And he thought to himself, finally, after seven years, I've got my Rachel. But when he awoke in the morning and the sunlight came streaming in his tent, And he looked over at his new bride. The Bible says, behold, it was Leah. (laughs) And Jacob gets right up out of bed, puts on his clothes, goes and knocks on Laban's door and says, you no good, dirty, double-crossing scoundrel. You beguiled me. I worked for seven years for Rachel and I got Leah. Imagine working seven years for something and being disappointed in what you got. Imagine being Leah. Here you are, you're finally getting married. Finally, someone will accept you. Finally, someone will love you. Only to find out on the next morning that the person that you married didn't want you, he wanted your sister. And that your father thought so little of your value that he had to trick somebody into marrying you. Can you imagine the heartbreak she must have felt? Laban says to Jacob, fulfill her week. In other words, just you're married to her now. Fulfill the wedding feast. Fulfill the week. And after the week is over, I'll give you Rachel. Now, we like to think a lot of times that Jacob went ahead and worked seven more years and then he got Rachel, but that's not what the Bible says. It says after a week of being married to Leah, Jacob got Rachel and then he worked seven years for Laban. So again, just imagine you've been married to a man for one week and then he goes ahead and marries your beautiful younger sister. You know, folks, we're all like Jacob and we're all like Leah. Like Jacob, we spend most of our lives thinking, if I could just have this, 
If I could just have her, if I could just have him, then I'd have everything I need. My life would be whole. Or like Leah, if I could just have the love of my husband, I wouldn't feel so ugly, then I'd be beautiful. But listen to me this morning. No matter what we put our hopes in in this world, they will always disappoint us. One author said it this way, we will think that thing is Rachel, but when we get it in the morning, it will be Leah. Life is filled with pain and disappointment. Number three, we're all looking for love and acceptance. I think verses 32 through 34 are some of the saddest verses in all the Bible. We read that for many, of, for many years, God caused Rachel's womb to be closed and she couldn't have children. So the only way for Jacob to have a child was to go in through Leah. Leah must have been so excited when she found out that she was expecting. That excitement would have been doubled on the day that she gave birth and found out that she gave birth to a baby boy. The firstborn son meant everything in that culture. She named that baby boy Reuben. It means see a son. She said, the Lord has seen me and now Jacob will love me because I've given him a son. But he didn't love Leah. He still loved Rachel. The next time Leah gave birth, she named her son Simeon. It means heard. She said, the Lord has heard that my husband has hated me. And then she had another son, and that son's name was Levi, and it means joined. She said, this time my husband will join himself to me and forget my sister, because I have given him three sons. Now, do you see what's happening here, folks? Every time she has a son, she thinks that through that son, she will earn the acceptance and love of her husband. He'll love me this time. Because I've done this, now he'll love me. You know, we all do this. We all know that we've fallen short. We all know that in some way we're the ugly sister. And so we live to earn the approval of other people. And I think ultimately of God himself. We all think, if I can preach well enough, or do well enough on the test, or make enough money in a profession, or serve in the church enough, or or bring up a perfect family, then people will love me. Then people will accept me. Then people will see my value and then God will see my value. Then I won't be Leah. Then I'll be Rachel. But listen to me, folks. Trying to earn love and acceptance through our performance will never work. If you have to earn love and acceptance, then you can always lose it if you don't do enough or if someone else does more. Here's what I came to tell you this morning. Throughout the years, I have sought to earn love and acceptance through ministry. The acceptance that comes in doing well in ministry or seeing people respond to altar calls, seeing ministries grow or being praised by people for preaching, it's like my drug of choice. I'm going to tell you something. It's easy to get addicted to the acceptance of other people. And I want to admit to you this morning, I'm a recovering addict. When I was a youth pastor, it went something like this. If I could get just a hundred teens in my youth department, then I will have made it. Then I can finally be happy. Then when we got to a hundred teenagers, it wasn't enough. So I said, well, if I can ever get a hundred addicts attending our Friday night RU class, then I'll have made it. Then I will have really done something for God. Then I'll be happy. 
But when we got to 100, I was never happy. Then it was, if I could become the associate pastor of our great church, then when I was the associate pastor, it became, well, if I could become the senior pastor, then people would really value me. Then I'd be respected. Then I will have done well. Would you listen to me this morning? Ministry is a wonderful vocation. And I use that in the highest term of that word vocation. It is a calling. Ministry is a wonderful vocation, but it is a terrible God. Ministry can't save you. Ministry can't satisfy you. And if you build your identity around your ministry around what you do for God, then when you fail in ministry, it will crush you. Or when you succeed in ministry, it will puff you up and make you proud. But because God will not share His glory with you, at some point He is going to humble you, and probably your family and probably some good church is going to pay the price for that. Young people, listen to me. Never base your identity on what you do for God. Base your identity on what God has done for you. You are adopted in the family of God. You are accepted in the beloved. You are a child of the King. And God's pleasure in you is not based on your performance for Him. God's pleasure in you is based on Christ's performance for you. And if who you are in Christ... And if who you are in your relationship with Christ is not enough for you now, it will not be enough for you when you get married to the perfect man or perfect woman. It will not be enough for you when you succeed and get into full-time ministry. It will not be enough for you when you become the pastor of a large church. We are all looking for love and acceptance. And by nature of our sin nature, we are looking in the wrong places. Just like Leah did. I could only imagine the heartbreak Leah must have felt after she had her third son and Jacob still didn't love her. Uh, Can you see her tears? I can see them. Can you hear her cries? And if that's where this story ends, if this story ends with just these characters, with Leah being hated, with Rachel being loved, then this is the ugly story of the ugly sister. But I've got good news for you this morning. There's another character in the story, and that's the Lord. And Leah's story teaches me three important truths about God this morning. Number one, God is attracted to broken people. God is attracted to broken people. Look at verse 31. It says, And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. Did you get that? The Lord saw Leah. Everyone in Leah's life wanted to look away from her, except for God. The Lord saw her. And I want you to know this morning that there is something wonderful in the character of our God that causes Him to be attracted to broken people. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Here's Leah, undervalued by her father, hated by her husband, she says. Can you even imagine that? Overlooked by her beautiful sister, 
but loved by God. Listen, since we're all Leahs in some way, I'm glad this morning that the Lord loves Leahs. Aren't you? Amen. Religion says to us, if you can clean yourself up. Religion says, if you can do enough good works, if you can somehow make yourself appealing to God, then God will love you. Then God will accept you. Then God will use you. But the Bible says the opposite, doesn't it? The Bible says when the Lord saw that she was hated... Then he opened up her womb. God wasn't looking for a beautiful thing. He wasn't looking for a strong thing. He was looking for a broken thing. He was looking for a weak thing. He was looking for a hated thing. Because when he moved into Leah's life and transformed her and used her, there would be no doubt as to who had done the work. There would be no doubt as to who should get the glory. And I want you to know, young person, God still works in the same way today. He's not always looking for the rich person. He's not always looking for the person from the perfect family. He's not always looking for the strong, the talented, the intelligent, the great preacher. He's looking today for a weak person. He's looking for a hated person. He's looking for a broken person. And if God wasn't attracted to a broken person, I'm going to tell you today, He would have never been attracted to me. And if you've ever thought, I'm too dumb, I'm too ugly, I'm too young, I'm too messed up for God to use, you are exactly the type of person God wants to use because God is attracted to broken people. Not only is God attracted to broken people, God transforms broken people into beautiful people. Every time Leah had a son... She hoped that that child would earn her Jacob's love. Now this time, he'll love me, she said. This time he'll see me. This time he'll hear me. And every single time she was disappointed. No matter how hard she tried, Jacob still loved Rachel and he still hated her. But in the middle of some pretty extraordinary pain and brokenness in this passage, something amazing happens in the life of Leah. Leah begins in the middle of this process to start calling on the name of the Lord. When you see those capital letters, L-O-R-D in your Bible, it equals Jehovah, Yahweh. That's the covenant name for God. That's the family name of God. That's the name that people use when they are intimate with God. By the time that Leah had had her her fourth child, she had figured something out, not about Jacob, but about God. She figured out that she may not have been loved by Jacob, but somehow, some way, she was loved by Jehovah. She may not have been accepted by Jacob, but she was accepted by Jehovah. And she may not have been beautiful to Jacob, but she was beautiful to Jehovah. Young person, I want to remind you of something. God does not love you because you're valuable. You are valuable because God loves you. God does not love you because you're beautiful. You are beautiful because God loves you. And when you really understand that, it frees you from trying to make yourself beautiful, make yourself acceptable in the eyes of other people. Leah's saying here, I'm going to stop bearing children. I'm giving up on this. I don't need it anymore. I have found something infinitely more satisfying than the love of Jacob. I have found the love of Jehovah. And this time... 
I'm just going to praise the Lord. You see what's happened in her life? God has taken Leah's pain and he has turned it into praise. He's taken something broken and he's made it something beautiful. And I'm glad to report that God is still in the business today of taking broken things and making them beautiful for his glory. There's one more truth we need to see this morning about our God. Number three. God uses broken people to change the world. Her last child's name was Judah. It literally means praise. I told you earlier that God had chosen Jacob's family. That there would be a chosen son through which the chosen son would come. Jacob would have 12 sons as time would go on, but only one of them would be chosen to be the ancestor of the Lord Jesus. And which child was it? He's the lion of the tribe of Judah, isn't it? And it's very meaningful to me this morning that God did not choose the son of the beautiful sister. He chose the son of the ugly sister. And it would be the ugly sister who would change the world. And I want to tell you this morning, God delights in using weak and ordinary people in extraordinary ways for His glory. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. If you'll do a study of the Bible and a study of church history, you will find that God has always used broken people to change the world. Abraham was an idolater. Moses was a murderer. Ehud was handicapped. David was just a shepherd boy with red hair, I believe. It says he was ruddy, and I'm going to go with that. Daniel was a eunuch. Matthew was a hated publican. Peter was a fisherman who quit the ministry and denied Christ. John Mark was a quitter. The great apostle Paul called himself the chief of sinners. John Bunyan was just a poor tinkerer. William Carey was a cobbler. Spurgeon was overweight and struggled with depression. D.L. Moody was a country boy with a fifth grade education. And I want you to know, young people, that if God could use those broken people to change the world, then surely He could use you and me this morning. I'm thinking today of the story of a broken little girl who came from a broken family. She was conceived as the result of an adulterous affair between her mother and a man that was married to someone else. Once her father found out that her mother was pregnant, he demanded that she give the baby up for adoption and wanted the baby to be sold to the highest bidder. The mother did give the baby up for adoption, but not to the highest bidder, to a preacher and his wife that had struggled to have a child. Though she had wonderful adopted parents, all throughout that little girl's life, she would struggle with feeling unloved and unwanted. But as a young teenager, she put her faith and trust in Jesus Christ. At 17 years old, at a youth rally, she came and brought her poor and broken life to the Lord Jesus and gave it to Him such as it was. She went off to Bible college and she married a preacher. 
She became the pastor's wife in one of the great churches in the state of Texas. And that woman is my wife. And right now, as we speak, she's at home in Texas getting our house ready so we can adopt some children to show them the same kind of love that Jesus Christ has showed us. God took a life that was broken and He made it beautiful. And He wants to do the same for you. I want you to think about our Savior for a moment. Think about Him. He was born in a cattle stall. Grew up in a common working class family. His stepdad was a carpenter. The Bible tells us that Jesus was not handsome in appearance. Nobody looked at Jesus and thought, that must be the Savior of the world. Nobody did that. Everybody that looked at him thought that he was an ordinary man from an ordinary family, but he was anything but ordinary. And he would save the world. He would save the world not as someone weak who made himself strong, but as someone strong who made himself weak. I want to tell you this morning, that is the way that God works in this world. The question is not, are you strong enough for God to use? The question is not, are you smart enough for God to use? The question is not, are you talented or gifted enough for God to use? The question is, are you weak enough for God to use? Are you willing to humble yourself and bring your broken life such as it is to the Lord Jesus Christ and allow Him to transform something broken into something beautiful so He can use it to change the world? That's what He did in Leah's life. That's what He wants to do in your life. When I was a youth pastor, there was a young lady who had made a suicide pact. She was in our youth department, rode our buses to church. And she had made a suicide pact with a young lady that was on her street, her best friend. She was only 13 years old and the young lady's friend was successful in her attempt. She died. The young lady in our youth department did not. I didn't find out about it for some time until she had gotten out of the hospital. And I went over to her house. It was dilapidated. and They were absolutely impoverished. This is the kind of house you would expect not to see in a neighborhood in America, but in some third world country. There were several children living on the inside of that house. And this young lady, her parents were so poor she didn't even have a bed. She shared the couch with her younger brother. She came outside and she had bandages on her wrist from where she had attempted to take her life. I began to ask her what was going through her mind. Why would she try to do that? Didn't she see the potential that God had for her life? Nothing was getting through. So I remember looking her in the face, into the eyes, and asking her, calling her name, and saying, do you believe that God really loves you? And she got a hard look on her face, a stone-faced expression. And she said, no, Brother Tyler, I don't believe that God loves me. Because if God loved me, He wouldn't have allowed me to go through the things that I've been through. And so I called her name, and again I said, What would God have to do for you to prove that He really loves you? And she looked at me with that same hard expression on her face. She said, He'd have to resurrect my grandpa who died a few months ago. He'd have to get my daddy out of jail. He'd have to bring back my friend that just died in suicide. 
you'd have to give me a nicer house. You'd have to make my mom stop being so cruel to me. You'd have to give me a bed to sleep on. I looked at her. as my heart filled with pain at what she had experienced in her life. I said to her, I don't know that God is going to do those things for you. In fact, some of those things I know he's not going to do. But what if he did something else? What if God himself came down and he lived in your house? What if God himself slept on your couch and ate what you ate and went where you go? And what if he lived with you for a long time and did nothing but love you and treat you kindly? And you hated him for it. And after a little while, you pulled the hair out of his beard. And after a little while, you jammed a crown of thorns upon his brow. And after a little while, you nailed him up to a tree to die. And if in his dying breath, he said to you, or prayed to God, Father, forgive her. She doesn't know what she's doing. I looked at the young lady, now tears streaming down her eyes. And I said to her, if God did all that for you, would you then believe that he loved you? And she said, oh yes, Brother Tyler, I would believe it. And I called her name again and I said, honey, he already has. And if God really did love you, would that give you reason to live? And she said, oh yes, Brother Tyler, it would give me reason to live. And here's what I want to ask you this morning. Right where you sit, do you really believe that God loves you? Just as you are. Not some future version of you, not some better version of you. Do you believe that God loves you just as you are? And if you did, Wouldn't that give you reason to live? Wouldn't it give you reason to bring your broken life to Him and ask Him to make it beautiful and allow Him to use you to change the world? Here's the good news this morning. We're all Leah. But through Christ, God sees us as Rachel. And every ugly sister can have a beautiful story.